Ether chapter 1. We now come to one of the big surprises in the Book of Mormon. As the next series of chapters unfold, we discover that two-thirds of the gold plates received by Joseph Smith were filled with the writings of Moroni, and only one-third comprised the writings of Mormon. This interesting discovery was mentioned by Orson Pratt in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 347. We further learn that after Mormon was killed, we estimate that it left Moroni alone at least 25 to 30 years, according to Moroni chapter 10, verse 1. During all of those years, Moroni had to scrounge for his food and live as a fugitive in hiding because the Lamanites were trying to find him and kill him. We also learn that it was during these lonely, treacherous years that Moroni found the gold needed to make additional plates. He then translated from the Adamic tongue the sweeping vision of the entire prophetic history of the world as seen by the brother of Jared. But Moroni sealed up this prophetic history after recording it on the gold plate so Joseph Smith could not translate it. However, Moroni did not seal up the history of the Jaredites, which we are now going to study. Moroni says the Jaredites inhabited the North American continent and turned out to be the greatest nation in ancient times. The Jaredites numbered in the millions and, according to the record, was the greatest nation in antiquity greater than Babylon, Persia, Greece, or Egypt. Amazingly, today there's not a single survivor or even a descendant of the Jaredites left alive on the face of the earth. We will now study the history of this people which existed in North America for nearly 2,000 years. And now I, Moroni, proceed to give an account of those ancient inhabitants who were destroyed by the hand of the Lord upon the face of this north country. Moroni speaks of the, quote, north country, unquote, which would seem to mean North America. This means that while the Jaredites were developing into a nation of millions of people in the, quote, north country, unquote, the Nephites and the Mulekites, which came separately from Jerusalem around 590 B.C., were developing in the, quote, land southward, without any knowledge of the Jaredites to the north. However, at a date surmised to have been around 250 B.C., the last survivor of the Jaredites came down into the land southward and stumbled onto the Mulekites. But he died, quote, after nine moons, unquote, without being able to learn Hebrew sufficiently well to communicate with the Mulekites. The important thing to remember is that these nations existed simultaneously on the American continent from around 590 B.C. to approximately 250 B.C. without being aware of one another. Some scholars have tried to force the entire Book of Mormon history into a relatively small territory, but that doesn't seem to fit Moroni's description of what really happened. And I take mine account from the twenty and four plates which were found by the people of Limhi, which is called the Book of Ether. It will be recalled that after the Nephites and Mulekites became one people, a group of Nephites became isolated in the land of Nephi and were virtual slaves of the Lamanites. The king of these people was called Limhi. 
and he sent 43 men northward to locate the main body of the Nephites, thinking they might rescue these Nephites who were in slavery. However, these 43 men became lost, and after completely missing the land of Zarahemla, they wandered up into the land northward. To their amazement, they found the entire country covered with bones and the ruins of cities. They thought these ruins might have been the remains of the Nephite civilization, when they were actually the ruins of the Jaredites who had become extinct through civil war. However, as the search party proceeded further north, they discovered a set of 24 gold plates, which were filled with writings they could not read. Finally, the search party gave up and returned home the same way they had come. So once again, they missed the land of Zarahemla. Nevertheless, they brought with them the 24 gold plates, which were later translated by the Urim and Thummim. These plates contained the history of the Jaredites written by Ether, their last prophet. And that is what we are now reading. And as I suppose that the first part of this record, which speaks concerning the creation of the world and also of Adam, and an account from that time even to the great tower, and whatsoever things transpired among the children of men until that time, is had among the Jews. Therefore, I do not write those things which transpired from the days of Adam until that time, but they are had upon the plates. And whoso findeth them, the same will have power that he may get the full account. But behold, I give not the full account, but a part of the account I give, from the tower down until they were destroyed. Moroni knew the saints of the latter days would have the Bible and therefore he left out everything set forth on the twenty-four gold plates that covered the sacred scriptural history from Adam to the building of the Tower of Babel. It was when the Lord said the Tower of Babel was about to be destroyed and the people scattered all over the earth that the history of the Jaredites actually begins. Although Moroni says he cannot give us the full account of the Jaredites, at least he will trace their history from the time of the Tower of Babel around 2200 B.C. down to the final destruction of the Jaredites, which we believe was approximately 250 B.C. This history therefore covers a period of nearly 2,000 years. And on this wise do I give the account. He that wrote this record was Ether, and he was a descendant of Coriantor. Moroni tells us that this history of the Jaredites was written by a prophet named Ether. It turns out that Ether is the last of the royal line of the brother of Jared. He therefore wants to give us his genealogy back through 30 generations to the brother of Jared. This will take us up to verse 32. Coriantor was the son of Moron, and Moron was the son of Etham, and Etham was the son of Ahah. And Ahah was the son of Seth, and Seth was the son of Shiblon, and Shiblon was the son of Com, and Com was the son of Coriantum, and Coriantum was the son of Amnagada, and Amnagada was the son of Aaron, and Aaron was a descendant of Heth, who was the son of Heartham. We interrupt at this point to note that Ether speaks of Aaron as being called, quote, a descendant of Heth, unquote, instead of calling him a son of Heth. Some scholars thought this represented a gap in the genealogical line. 
The question is solved in chapter 10, verse 31, where Heth is specifically described as being the father of Aaron. This demonstrates that this is not a break in the genealogical line. It indicates that the phrase, quote, a descendant of Heth means the same as, quote, a son of Heth, unquote. And Heartham was the son of Lib, and Lib was the son of Kish, and Kish was the son of Coram, and Coram was the son of Levi, and Levi was the son of Kim, and Kim was the son of Morianton, and Morianton was a descendant of Rip Lachish, and Rip Lachish was the son of Shez, and Shez was the son of Heth, and Heth was the son of Com, and Com was the son of Coriantum, and Coriantum was the son of Emer, and Emer was the son of Omer, and Omer was the son of Shul, and Shul was the son of Kib, and Kib was the son of Orihah, who was the son of Jared. After listing these thirty generations of Ether's royal line, the record starts out with verse 33 to tell the Jaredite story right from the beginning. Which Jared came forth with his brother and their families, with some others and their families, from the great tower, at the time the Lord confounded the language of the people, and swore in his wrath that they should be scattered upon all the face of the earth. And according to the word of the Lord, the people were scattered. A representation of the famous Tower of Babel will be found on page 169 of volume 4 in the treasures of the Book of Mormon. And the brother of Jared, being a large and mighty man, and a man highly favored of the Lord, Jared his brother said unto him, Cry unto the Lord, that he will not confound us, that we may not understand our words. And it came to pass that the brother of Jared did cry unto the Lord, and the Lord had compassion upon Jared. Therefore he did not confound the language of Jared, and Jared and his brother were not confounded. It is from these two verses that we learn that the original language of Adam was brought to America by the Jaredites. Then Jared said unto his brother, Cry again unto the Lord, and it may be that he will turn away his anger from them who are our friends, that he confound not their language. And it came to pass that the brother of Jared did cry unto the Lord. And the Lord had compassion upon their friends and their families also, that they were not confounded. And it is from this verse that we learn that the entire company of immigrants who traveled with Jared and his brother were also able to retain the language of Adam. And it came to pass that Jared spake again unto his brother, saying, Go and inquire of the Lord whether he will drive us out of the land. And if he will drive us out of the land, cry unto him whither we shall go. And who knoweth? But the Lord will carry us forth into a land which is choice above all the earth. And if it so be, let us be faithful unto the Lord, that we may receive it for our inheritance. And it came to pass that the brother of Jared did cry unto the Lord, according to that which had been spoken by the mouth of Jared. And it came to pass that the Lord did hear the brother of Jared, and had compassion upon him and said unto him, 
The great anxiety of this company of immigrants was their ultimate destination. In other words, they hoped the Lord would lead them to a choice part of the earth and not some desolate wilderness. Go to and gather together thy flocks, both male and female of every kind, and also of the seed of the earth of every kind, and thy families, and also Jared thy brother and his family, and also thy friends and their families, and the friends of Jared and their families. And when thou hast done this, thou shalt go at the head of them down into the valley which is northward, and there will I meet thee, and I will go before thee into a land which is choice above all the lands of the earth. The Lord answered this petition by commanding the little band to gather choice breeding stock from all the domestic animals and then proceed northward to a place where the Lord would meet them and thereafter lead them to a land which was the choicest part of the whole earth. And there will I bless thee and thy seed and raise up unto me of thy seed and of the seed of thy brother and they who shall go with thee a great nation. And there shall be none greater than the nation which I will raise up unto me of thy seed upon all the face of the earth. And thus I will do unto thee, because this long time ye have cried unto me. In this verse the Lord makes these people a fantastic promise. The Lord has not only promised to lead them to the choicest part of the planet, but says they will thrive there and become the greatest nation upon all the face of the earth. As it turned out, the Jaredites thrived as a mighty people until around approximately 250 B.C. The population is described as running into millions and would have apparently been superior to Babylon, Persia, Egypt, and Greece. Ether chapter 2. Jared and his brother, as well as their friends, probably had no idea what a tremendously ambitious expedition this exploratory adventure would turn out to be. And it came to pass that Jared and his brother and their families, and also the friends of Jared and his brother and their families, went down into the valley which was northward. And the name of the valley was Nimrod, being called after the mighty hunter with their flocks which they had gathered together, male and female of every kind. Nimrod was one of the most wicked men in ancient history, and he was the principal promoter of the Tower of Babel. Josephus, the famous Jewish historian, describes Nimrod in his book called Antiquities of the Jews, book 1, chapter 4, and he says, quote, now it was Nimrod who excited the people in such an affront and contempt of God. He persuaded them not to ascribe their prosperity to God, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured their happiness. Nimrod said he would build a tower too high for the waters in the future to be able to reach them, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers in the great flood." Unquote. 
It is interesting that the region into which the Lord had led the Jaredite colony was called the Valley of Nimrod, and it appears to have been a flourishing area from which Jared and his friends could select breeding stock for the promised land. And they did also lay snares and catch fowls of the air, and they did also prepare a vessel in which they did carry with them the fish of the waters. And they did also carry with them Deseret, which by interpretation is a honey bee. And thus they did carry with them swarms of bees, and all manner of that which was upon the face of the land, seeds of every kind. Sometime after the great flood, it says in Genesis chapter 10, verse 25, that in the days of Peleg, there was a great division, which would indicate that the continents were divided. And we would imagine that before this division, the wildlife would probably scatter across the earth and reach the area which is now the Western Hemisphere. However, when it came to domestic animals, this would be less likely. Notice that it is just domestic flocks and domestic fowls and freshwater fish that the Jaredites were told by the Lord to take with them to replenish the promised land. The wildlife had apparently reached the promised land already. And it came to pass that when they had come down into the valley of Nimrod, the Lord came down and talked with the brother of Jared. And he was in a cloud, and the brother of Jared saw him not. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded them that they should go forth into the wilderness, yea, into that quarter where there never had man been. And it came to pass that the Lord did go before them, and did talk with them as he stood in a cloud, and gave directions whither they should travel. In Ether chapter 1, verse 42, the Lord has promised to meet this band of pilgrims and help them prepare for the lengthy and somewhat frightening journey they would be required to make. It is interesting that when the Lord met with the brother of Jared, he did not allow himself to be seen, but spoke from a cloud. From this time forward, the Lord personally guided this little company of immigrants and took them into territories where no man had explored since the great flood. And it came to pass that they did travel in the wilderness and did build barges in which they did cross many waters, being directed continually by the hand of the Lord. Apparently the first part of their journey had been over dry land, and as they proceeded they ran into inland seas, no doubt left over from the great flood. In order to cross these many bodies of water, the Lord instructed the brother of Jared how to build barges, which could be used not only to carry the men, women, and children across the water, but also the domestic breeding stock the Lord had told them to carry with them. The size of the barges must have been immense, and we later learn that they were patterned after the huge Ark of Noah. The greatest accomplishment of this little body of immigrants was crossing a huge inland sea, and it is understandable why they may have thought their journey was over when they finally beached their barges on the other side. However, the scripture says, And the Lord would not suffer that they should stop beyond the sea in the wilderness, but he would that they should come forth even unto the land of promise, which was choice above all other lands. 
which the Lord God had preserved for a righteous people. The Lord wanted Jared and his brother to know that the promised land to which he would lead them was a very sacred land, which had a magnificent destiny in the coming centuries. However, the Lord made it clear that this promised land was so sacred that it would require its inhabitants to be a righteous people or they would lose their blessings. Recently, I heard one of the general authorities of the church read the next three verses and state that this scripture has a powerful warning to the inhabitants of the American continent in modern times. Today there are waves of wickedness spreading their poisonous temptation to every level of our society. The Lord has already said what will happen if this surge of desecration and evil continues. Listen to the word of God as he pronounces his decree upon the inhabitants of this land if their wickedness continues. And he had sworn in his wrath unto the brother of Jared, that whoso should possess this land of promise, from that time henceforth and forever, should serve him, the true and only God, or they should be swept off when the fullness of his wrath should come upon them. And now we can behold the decrees of God concerning this land, that it is a land of promise. And whatsoever nation shall possess it shall serve God, or they shall be swept off when the fullness of his wrath shall come upon them. And the fullness of his wrath cometh upon them when they are ripened in iniquity. For behold, this is a land which is choice above all other lands. Wherefore he that doth possess it shall serve God or shall be swept off, for it is the everlasting decree of God. And it is not until the fullness of iniquity among the children of the land that they are swept off. In this next verse, the Lord makes it clear that his decree applies to the Gentile inhabitants of America in the latter days. And this cometh unto you, O ye Gentiles, that ye may know the decrees of God, that ye may repent and not continue in your iniquities until the fullness come, that ye may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you, as the inhabitants of the land have hitherto done. Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all other nations under heaven, if they will but serve the God of the land who is Jesus Christ, who hath been manifested by the things which we have written. Having recorded this strict decree of God concerning the new promised land, Moroni returns to the history of the Jaredites. And now I proceed with my record. For behold, it came to pass that the Lord did bring Jared and his brethren forth even to that great sea which divideth the lands. And as they came to the sea, they pitched their tents. And they called the name of the place Moriancomer. And they dwelt in tents, and dwelt in tents upon the seashore for the space of four years. After an extensive journey, the Jaredites came to the great sea which divides the continents. This would appear to have been the Atlantic Ocean. As we have already mentioned, the Bible says the land had been divided in the days of Peleg, whose name meant division, 
and it appears to have occurred some time after the Great Flood and a considerable time before the migration of the Jaredites. As the colony came to the shores of the great sea that divided the continents, they promptly set up a permanent encampment and called it Moriankomer. We later learned that Moriankomer is part of the name of the brother of Jared. We shall also learn that his full name was Mahanrai Moriankomer. The record indicates that this whole company must have been very comfortable in this new colony, and they made no further attempt to seek the will of the Lord for further instructions in order to get to the promised land. This remained the situation for a period of four years. Finally, the brother of Jared did hear from the Lord, and he was very angry. It says, And it came to pass at the end of four years that the Lord came again unto the brother of Jared, and stood in a cloud and talked with him. And for the space of three hours did the Lord talk with the brother of Jared, and chastened him, because he remembered not to call upon the name of the Lord. Nowhere else in history do we hear of the Lord chastising his servants for three solid hours. It is clear that the Lord is very disappointed in the Jaredite leaders that they had lost their anxiety to reach the promised land which God had told them about. Now the Lord wants some immediate action. Here's what he wants Jared and his brother to do. And the brother of Jared repented of the evil which he had done and did call upon the name of the Lord for his brethren who were with him. And the Lord said unto him, I will forgive thee and thy brethren of their sins, but thou shalt not sin any more. For ye shall remember that my spirit will not always strive with man. Wherefore, if ye will sin until ye are fully ripe, ye shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And these are my thoughts upon the land which I shall give you for your inheritance. For it shall be a land choice above all other lands. And the Lord said, Go to work and build after the manner of barges which ye have hitherto built. And it came to pass that the brother of Jared did go to work, and also his brethren, and built barges after the manner which they had built, according to the instructions of the Lord. And they were small, and they were light upon the water, even like unto the lightness of a fowl upon the water. It has been impossible for scientists to reconstruct a working model of the Jaredite barges. Many theories have been proposed, but what we do know is that they were copied after the famous Ark of Noah. At times they could be submerged, and they are described as being tight like a dish, but peaked at the end. An artist's conception of the barges can be found in Volume 4 of our text, page 195. The barges were built according to God's commandments. They were airtight and without any windows or sources of light. So the brother of Jared made a special plea to the Lord. The record says, And they were built after a manner that they were exceeding tight, even that they would hold water like unto a dish. And the bottom thereof was tight like unto a dish, and the sides thereof were tight like unto a dish and the ends thereof were peaked, and the top thereof was tight like unto a dish, and the length thereof was the length of a tree, and the door thereof, when it was shut, was tight like unto a dish. 
And it came to pass that the brother of Jared cried unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, I have performed the work which thou hast commanded me, and I have made the barges according as thou hast directed me. And behold, O Lord, in them there is no light. Whither shall we steer? And also we shall perish, for in them we cannot breathe, save it is the air which is in them. Therefore we shall perish. And the Lord said unto the brother of Jared, Behold, thou shalt make a hole in the top and also in the bottom. And when thou shalt suffer for air, thou shalt unstop the hole and receive air. And if it be so that the water come in upon thee, behold, ye shall stop the hole, that ye may not perish in the flood. And it came to pass that the brother of Jared did so, according as the Lord had commanded. Actually, the Lord's response to the plea of the brother of Jared has puzzled modern scientists more than ever. But according to the record, the brother of Jared did succeed in carrying out the Lord's instructions. But there was one remaining problem. And he cried again unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, behold, I have done even as thou hast commanded me. And I have prepared the vessels for my people, and behold, there is no light in them. Behold, O Lord, wilt thou suffer that we shall cross this great water in darkness? It is interesting that the Lord turned around and asked the brother of Jared how he thought this problem should be solved. The Lord complicated the issue by pointing out the many things they must not do if they want to survive this treacherous and sometimes violent journey across the great sea. The Lord said his previous instructions will provide the safe migration of the colony across the deep. But the Lord wants the brother of Jared to suggest what the Lord might do so the barges can have light when they are submerged in the depths of the sea. And the Lord said unto the brother of Jared, What will ye? that I should do, that ye may have light in your vessels. For behold, ye cannot have windows, for they will be dashed in pieces. Neither shall ye take fire with you, for ye shall not go by the light of fire. For behold, ye shall be as a whale in the midst of the sea, for the mountain waves shall dash upon you. Nevertheless, I will bring you up again out of the depths of the sea." For the winds have gone forth out of my mouth, and also the rains and the floods have I sent forth. And behold, I prepare you against these things. For ye cannot cross this great deep, save I prepare you against the waves of the sea, and the winds which have gone forth, and the floods which shall come. Therefore, what will ye that I should prepare for you, that ye may have light when ye are swallowed up in the depths of the sea. Ether chapter 3 We learn in the first verse of this chapter that there were altogether eight of these huge barges by which the Jaredites expected to cross the great sea. It says, And it came to pass that the brother of Jared, now the number of the vessels which had been prepared was eight, went forth unto the mount which they called the Mount Shelem, because of its exceeding height, and did molten out of a rock sixteen small stones, and they were white and clear, even as transparent glass. 
And he did carry them in his hands upon the top of the mount, and cried again unto the Lord. We note that these stones are described as white and clear, even as transparent glass. Back in Ether chapter 2, verse 23, it implies a knowledge of glass making. Actually, glass making is not difficult when the ingredients are known. The main substance is a silicate sand or rock, which is liquefied with heat and fused with soda, potash, or lime. Because glass decays, the extent of its use in ancient times is difficult to determine. Obviously, the 16 stones prepared by the brother of Jared were not very large, even though they would be required to produce a tremendous amount of light. He laid them before the Lord and then confessed that he was asking the Lord to do something marvelous for a people who had fallen so far from God's grace during the four years of beachcombing, <laughs> which had so aroused the wrath of God. O Lord, thou hast said that we must be encompassed about by the floods. Now behold, O Lord, and do not be angry with thy servant because of his weakness before thee. For we know that thou art holy, and dwellest in the heavens, and that we are unworthy before thee. Because of the fall our natures have become evil continually. Nevertheless, O Lord, thou hast given us a commandment that we must call upon thee, that from thee we may receive according to our desires. Behold, O Lord, thou hast smitten us because of our iniquity, and hast driven us forth. And for these many years we have been in the wilderness. Nevertheless, thou hast been merciful unto us. O Lord, look upon me in pity, and turn away thine anger from this thy people, and suffer not that they shall go forth across this raging deep in darkness. But behold these things which I have molten out of the rock, and I know, O Lord, that Thou hast all power, and can do whatsoever Thou wilt for the benefit of man. Therefore, touch these stones, O Lord, with Thy finger, and prepare them that they may shine forth in darkness, and they shall shine forth unto us in the vessels which we have prepared, that we may have light while we shall cross the sea, Behold, O Lord, thou canst do this. We know that thou art able to show forth great power, which looks small unto the understanding of men. The brother of Jared did not know it, but he was about to receive a great shock. It says, And it came to pass that when the brother of Jared had said these words, Behold, the Lord stretched forth his hand, and touched the stones one by one with his finger. And the veil was taken from off the eyes of the brother of Jared, and he saw the finger of the Lord. And it was as the finger of a man, like unto flesh and blood. And the brother of Jared fell down before the Lord, for he was struck with fear. As the finger of the Lord stretched forth to touch each stone, the veil was lifted, so that the astonished brother of Jared could see the finger, and it appeared to be flesh and bone, as though it were a human finger. It was part of the Hebrew tradition that no man could look upon the glory of God's being and survive. 
Therefore, when the brother of Jared realized he had seen the very finger of God, he fell to the ground, virtually petrified with fear. And the Lord saw that the brother of Jared had fallen to the earth, and the Lord said unto him, Arise, why hast thou fallen? And he saith unto the Lord, I saw the finger of the Lord, and I feared lest he should smite me, for I knew not that the Lord had flesh and blood. Notice that when the Lord asked the brother of Jared why he had fallen to the ground, the brother of Jared had no hesitation in saying that he had feared he would be smitten. And the Lord said unto him, Because of thy faith thou hast seen that I shall take upon me flesh and blood. And never has man come before me with such exceeding faith as thou hast. For were it not so, ye could not have seen my finger. Sawest thou more than this? And he answered, Nay, Lord, show thyself unto me. Now the Lord had another surprise for Mahan Raimori Ankermer. He wondered if the brother of Jared had seen anything besides the finger of the Lord. And when he replied that he had not, the Lord said his faith was so strong that the Lord could no longer keep himself hidden from him. He said many prophets had seen God in the past, but none had been able to do it on their own initiative. In earlier instances, the Lord had to quicken his servants so they could stand to look upon him. In other words, never before had any of God's servants been able to elevate their faith to the point where the natural eyes could penetrate the veil and behold the glorious personage of God. In view of what the Lord had said, it was almost predictable what Mahanrai would say. In a burst of righteous curiosity, he exclaimed, quote, Lord, show thyself unto me, unquote. And the Lord said unto him, Believest thou the words which I shall speak? Now the Lord did an unusual thing. He asked Mahanrai whether or not he would commit himself in advance to believe the things the Lord was about to tell him. And he answered, Yea, Lord, I know that thou speakest the truth, for thou art a God of truth and canst not lie. Mahanri said he had no hesitancy in saying he would believe what the Lord would tell him. He reasoned that there would be no risk involved in believing the Savior because the Lord can only speak the truth and cannot lie. In this response, Mahanri Moyankamer exhibited the perfect faith of a little child. And when he had said these words, Behold, the Lord showed himself unto him and said, because thou knowest these things, ye are redeemed from the fall. Therefore ye are brought back into my presence. Therefore I show myself unto you. Behold, I am he who was prepared from the foundation of the world to redeem my people. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, I am the Father and the Son. In me shall all mankind have light, and that eternally, even they who shall believe on my name. 
and they shall become my sons and my daughters. And never have I showed myself unto man, whom I have created, for never has man believed in me as thou hast. Seest thou that ye are created after mine own image? Yea, even all men were created in the beginning after mine own image. Behold, this body which ye now behold is the body of my spirit, and man have I created after the body of my spirit. And even as I appear unto thee to be in the spirit, will I appear unto my people in the flesh. Maroni now makes an editorial comment on what he has just written. He says, And now, as I, Moroni, said I could not make a full account of these things which are written, therefore it sufficeth me to say that Jesus showed himself unto this man in the Spirit, even after the manner and in the likeness of the same body, even as he showed himself unto the Nephites. And he ministered unto him, even as he ministered unto the Nephites, and all this, that this man might know that he was God, because of the many great works which the Lord had showed unto him. The Savior's teachings to the Nephites had included everything from the beginning until the time of the great judgment. And because of the knowledge of this man, he could not be kept from beholding within the veil. And he saw the finger of Jesus, which when he saw, he fell with fear. For he knew that it was the finger of the Lord, and he had faith no longer, for he knew nothing doubting. Moroni continues his editorial comment by stating that Mahanrai attained his great knowledge as a result of his faith, which became so strong, quote, he could not help from beholding within the veil, period, unquote. After he had seen the finger of Jesus, quote, he had faith no longer, for he knew nothing doubting, unquote. Here is something about God's science we can only contemplate without fully understanding the implications of what Moroni is saying. Wherefore, having this perfect knowledge of God, he could not be kept from within the veil. Therefore he saw Jesus, and he did minister unto him. We are simply told that once the faith of the brother of Jared had reached a level where he could penetrate the veil, then nothing could be withheld from him. Of course, as the Lord had pointed out earlier, Mahanrai's remarkable spiritual metamorphosis had never before been attained by any of God's earlier servants. All previous prophets had to be quickened so they could endure his presence. This was also true of Moses, who came later. As Moses wrote, quote, But now mine own eyes have beheld God, but not my natural, but my spiritual eyes. For my natural eyes could not have beheld, for I should have withered and died in his presence. But his glory was upon me, and I beheld his face, for I was transfigured before him. And that's found in the book of Moses, chapter 1, verse 11. And it came to pass that the Lord said unto the brother of Jared, Behold, thou shalt not suffer these things which ye have seen and heard to go forth unto the world 
until the time cometh that I shall glorify my name in the flesh. Wherefore ye shall treasure up the things which ye have seen and heard, and show it to no man. It is interesting that the Lord did not want it generally known that man could attain this high level of spirituality, where nothing could be kept hidden from them. He therefore instructed the brother of Jared to hide up the record of what the Lord had revealed to him. Nevertheless, we are going to discover later that a considerable number of the more righteous saints were able to attain a degree of sublimation similar to that of the brother of Jared. As Moroni explains in Ether chapter 12, verse 19, quote, And there were many whose faith was so exceeding strong, even before Christ came, who could not be kept from within the veil, but truly saw with their eyes the things which they beheld with an eye of faith, and they were very glad. Unquote. And behold, when ye shall come unto me, ye shall write them and shall seal them up, that no one can interpret them, for ye shall write them in a language that they cannot be read. From this verse we conclude that when Mahanrai came toward the end of his life, he should write down the things which are yet to be described in verse 25, and then seal them up so that no one could interpret them. Of course, the reason no one could interpret them was because he would write them in a language which cannot be read. Since the Adamic tongue had been confounded among all other people, Mahanrai's writings would obviously be such that no one else on earth would be able to read them. And behold, these two stones will I give unto thee, and ye shall seal them up also with the things which ye shall write. The Lord said he was going to give Mahanrai two stones, which were to be hidden up with the record. In a modern revelation set forth in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 17, verse 1, the Lord refers to these two stones, which were given to the brother of Jared as the, quote, Urim and Thummim, period, unquote. These two names do not appear elsewhere in the Book of Mormon, but are the names given to similar stones in the possession of Abraham, as mentioned in Abraham chapter 3, verse 1. Also the two stones in the possession of Noah, as described in the Journal of Discourses, volume 16, page 50, and also those in possession of Moses and Aaron, as indicated in Exodus 28 and 30, and also Leviticus 8 and 8. For behold, the language which ye shall write, I have confounded. Wherefore I will cause in my own due time that these stones shall magnify to the eyes of men these things which ye shall write. When the Lord said the language in which Mahanrai would write had been confounded, we assume he is referring to the Adamic tongue which had not been confounded among the Jaredites, but had been confounded among all other nations on earth. The Lord promised that in his own due time these stones would magnify or interpret what the Jaredites would record. And when the Lord had said these words, he showed unto the brother of Jared all the inhabitants of the earth which had been, and also all that would be, and he withheld them not from his sight, even unto the ends of the earth. 
In this verse, we learn that Mahan Raimoyankamer was allowed to see and describe what he had seen in vision. It turned out to be the entire prophetic history of the human race, past, present, and future. What a vision! For he had said unto him in times before, that if he would believe in him that he could show unto him all things, it should be shown unto him. Therefore the Lord could not withhold anything from him, for he knew that the Lord could show him all things. And the Lord said unto him, Write these things, and seal them up, and I will show them in mine own due time unto the children of men. Here are two interesting verses. Apparently, quote, in times before, unquote, the Lord had promised the brother of Jared that he would show him the prophetic history of the world. The Lord even promised in his, quote, own due time, unquote, to show these things, quote, unto the children of men, unquote. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded him that he should seal up the two stones which he had received and show them not until the Lord should show them unto the children of men. The Lord also made it known that the two sacred stones which the brother of Jared was commanded to show unto no one would one day be shown by the Lord to all mankind in his own due time. We know some additional details concerning the two sacred stones which the Lord assures us are the ones that he gave to the brother of Jared. To begin with, the Urim and Thummim which Joseph Smith received from Moroni are identical with the two stones given to the brother of Jared. We read in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 17, verse 1, that, quote, the Urim and Thummim, unquote, which were given to Joseph Smith by the angel Moroni, quote, were given to the brother of Jared upon the mount when he talked with the Lord face to face, period, unquote. William Smith described the Urim and Thummim as being set in a bow, quote, which was twisted into the shape of a figure eight, and the two stones were placed in the two rims of the bow. At one end was attached a rod which is connected with the outer edge of the right shoulder of the breastplate. By pressing the head a little forward, the rod held the Urim and Thummim before the eyes like a pair of spectacles. A pocket was prepared in the breastplate on the left side, immediately over the heart. When not in use, the Urim and Thummim was placed in the pocket, the rod being of just the right length to allow it to be deposited. Unquote. And this is taken from the Saints Herald for March the 5th, 1932, page 258. Ether chapter 4. When the vision was over, Ether was commanded to descend from the high mountain and write all that he had seen and heard. However, notice how strictly the Lord forbade him to share any of this vision with the people until after Jesus had been lifted up on the cross. It is interesting that when King Mosiah translated these records into Hebrew for the Nephites around 92 B.C., he revealed the general content of the history of the Jaredites, but apparently he did not reveal anything concerning Mahanrai Moriankamer's prophetic vision concerning the prophetic history of the world. Mosiah confirms this in Mosiah chapter 28, verses 17 to 18. 
And the Lord commanded the brother of Jared to go down out of the mount from the presence of the Lord, and write the things which he had seen. And they were forbidden to come unto the children of men, until after that he should be lifted up upon the cross. And for this cause did King Mosiah keep them, that they should not come unto the world, until after Christ should show himself unto his people. And after Christ truly had showed himself unto his people, he commanded that they should be made manifest. It is interesting that after Christ appeared in his resurrected glory among the Nephites, he commanded that the great vision of Mahanrai should be revealed to the people. And now, after that, they have all dwindled in unbelief, and there is none save it be the Lamanites, and they have rejected the gospel of Christ. Therefore I am commanded that I should hide them up again in the earth. As the Nephites fell away and were virtually annihilated as a people, and the Lamanites became the rising apostate power in America, the glorious vision of Mahanrai would be completely withdrawn from circulation. Moroni had personally witnessed all of this desolation of the Nephites, and he knew what treasures the Nephites had lost. No doubt this was a great source of sorrow to Moroni, because he knew that in all human history, the children of men had never received a series of revelations as great as those which were shown to the brother of Jared. Behold, I have written upon these plates the very things which the brother of Jared saw, and there never were greater things made manifest than those which were made manifest unto the brother of Jared. Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me to write them, and I have written them. And he commanded me that I should seal them up. And he also hath commanded that I should seal up the interpretation thereof. Wherefore I have sealed up the interpreters according to the commandment of the Lord. The writings of Moroni constituted two-thirds of the gold plates given to Joseph Smith. Moroni says the sealed part of the plates was that marvelous revelation which was received by the brother of Jared. In fact, Moroni reveals the exciting information that everything the brother of Jared received from the Lord was recorded in the writings of Moroni. But then he was told to seal it up along with the interpreter so that no unauthorized person could have access to this sacred information. For the Lord said unto me, They shall not go forth unto the Gentiles until the day that they shall repent of their iniquity and become clean before the Lord. And in that day that they shall exercise faith in me, saith the Lord, even as the brother of Jared did, that they may become sanctified in me. Then will I manifest unto them the things which the brother of Jared saw, even to the unfolding unto them all my revelations, saith Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of the heavens and of the earth, and all things that in them are. Now we have a wonderful hint from the Lord that applies to our own day. It says the vision of the brother of Jared will not be revealed to the Gentiles in the latter days until they repent. 
So far this has not happened, but the president of the church knows from 3 Nephi chapter 21, verse 22, that the window of opportunity is still open to the Gentiles. Chapter 21, verse 22 indicates that there is a possibility that the Gentiles can still repent. If and when they do repent, Moroni says they will not only receive the prophetic history of the world, but they will be given all of the revelations God has revealed from the beginning of human history. And he that will contend against the word of the Lord, let him be accursed. And he that shall deny these things, let him be accursed. For unto them will I show no greater things, saith Jesus Christ, for I am he who speaketh. Of course, these revelations will be available only to the righteous, and any Gentiles who reject these sacred disclosures will be cursed with a spirit of darkness, so that they will receive none of these treasures. And at my command the heavens are opened and are shut, and at my word the earth shall shake, and at my command the inhabitants thereof shall pass away even so as by fire. Not only will those who reject God's great gift of revelation and the prophetic history of the world stand cursed before God, but the whole panorama of heavenly manifestations will be shut out from the minds in a cloud of darkness, and the proud, sneering fragments of humanity who reject these things will be destroyed by fire, just as the prophet Malachi saw it in vision. The terror of that hour is described in Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. And he that believeth not my words, believeth not my disciples. And if it so be that I do not speak, judge ye. For ye shall know that it is I that speaketh at the last day. But he that believeth these things which I have spoken, him will I visit with the manifestations of my Spirit, and he shall know and bear record. For because of my Spirit he shall know that these things are true, for it persuadeth men to do good, and whatsoever thing persuadeth men to do good is of me. For good cometh of none save it be of me. I am the same that leadeth men to all good. He that will not believe my words will not believe me that I am. And he that will not believe me will not believe the Father who sent me. For behold, I am the Father, I am the light and the life and the truth of the world. In these two verses, Moroni tells how to distinguish between the mighty works of God and the evil debaucheries of Satan. As Jesus would later declare during his ministry, quote, ye shall know them by their fruits, unquote, which is found in Matthew 7 and 20. And Jesus taught the same doctrine to the Nephites in 3 Nephi chapter 14, verse 16. Now we come to God's great proclamation or invitation to the Gentiles in the latter days. He says if they will repent and respond to the message of the gospel, here is what they can expect. Come unto me, O ye Gentiles, and I will show unto you the greater things, the knowledge which is hid up because of unbelief. 
and a similar invitation will be extended to the children of Israel, and even though they must put aside their wickedness to get their great blessings, this is what the Lord plans to share with them. Come unto me, O ye house of Israel, and it shall be made manifest unto you how great things the Father hath laid up for you from the foundation of the world. And it hath not come unto you because of unbelief, Behold, when ye shall rend that veil of unbelief which doth cause you to remain in your awful state of wickedness and hardness of heart and blindness of mind, then shall the great and marvelous things which have been hid up from the foundation of the world from you, yea, when ye shall call upon the Father in my name with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, then shall ye know that the Father hath remembered the covenant which he made unto your fathers, O house of Israel. Not only will the saints receive the sealed portion of the gold plates, but they will even have the entire writings of John the Beloved open before their eyes. And then shall my revelations which I have caused to be written by my servant John be unfolded in the eyes of all the people. Remember, when ye see these things, ye shall know that the time is at hand, that they shall be made manifest in very deed. Therefore, when ye shall receive this record, ye may know that the work of the Father has commenced upon all the face of the land. Not only does the Lord promise to disclose these great treasures of knowledge to the Gentiles and the children of Israel, but the same invitation will eventually be extended to the whole world. Therefore repent, all ye ends of the earth, and come unto me, and believe in my gospel, and be baptized in my name. For he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned and signs shall follow them that believe in my name. And blessed is he that is found faithful unto my name at the last day, for he shall be lifted up to dwell in the kingdom prepared for him from the foundation of the world. And behold, it is I that hath spoken it. Amen. Ether chapter 5. In this chapter, Moroni addresses himself to the future translator of the plates. This turns out to be Joseph Smith. And now I, Moroni, have written the words which were commanded me, according to my memory. And I have told you the things which I have sealed up. Therefore touch them not in order that ye may translate. For that thing is forbidden you except by and by it shall be wisdom in God. Joseph Smith is told by Moroni that he is not to meddle with the plates which have been sealed because they are not to be translated until a later time. And behold, ye may be privileged that ye may show the plates unto those who shall assist to bring forth this work. Next, Joseph is told that he will be privileged to show the sacred golden plates to some of those who have helped to bring forth the translation and publication of the Book of Mormon. And unto three shall they be shown by the power of God. 
wherefore they shall know of a surety that these things are true. However, this exciting privilege of seeing the plates is restricted to three of those who have brought forth the work. Since several have participated in this work, there will have to be a selection. Once Oliver Cowdery transcribed this verse, he knew he would be one of those who would be eligible to see the plates. Others who had assisted Joseph also wanted to be included. And in the mouth of three witnesses shall these things be established, and the testimony of three, and this work in the which shall be shown forth the power of God and also his word, of which the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost bear record. And all this shall stand as a testimony against the world at the last day. Moroni attaches great significance to these three special persons who will be raised up and testify as witnesses to the divinity of the work which the Lord will bring forth in the latter days. And if it so be that they repent and come unto the Father in the name of Jesus, they shall be received into the kingdom of God. Moroni says that if the people repent and accept the testimony of these witnesses in the last days, they will be accepted in the kingdom of God. And now, if I have no authority for these things, judge ye, for ye shall know that I have authority when ye shall see me, and we shall stand before God at the last day. Amen. Of course, the integrity of a witness depends upon the truthfulness of his testimony. Moroni says that any who doubt his testimony will find themselves condemned by Moroni himself at the last judgment. If you are enjoying this podcast with W. Cleon Skousen, you might enjoy his lectures recorded while at Brigham Young University, found at skousenlibrary.com.